Welcome to the LFC Podcast, where our mission is to make, deploy, and multiply mature and equip Christ followers. We're grateful for this opportunity to bring you a message of hope, healing, and life transformation today. Enjoy the message. Well, we've been in this series called You've Got Mail, and we've been hanging out in the book of Revelation. Uh, The book of Revelation uh, was actually written by John when he was exiled in uh, in the island of Patmos. And this just wasn't a handwritten sentiment that someone had written and going to distribute it. This was actually a revelation that he had received from Jesus Christ himself. We can see that in the very first book, uh, book and the very first book, a verse of Revelation. It's a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him, and he sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John. And in this entire book of Revelation, we see that there are seven letters written to seven different churches. Now, these letters believe it or not, are not just for these seven different churches of that time, but they also are utilized for a prophetic voice in in our culture today. In other words, uh, when we talk about prophetic, uh, not pathetic, prophetic, right? When we, when we talk about prophecy, we have to understand that it, these are things that speaks of the future, speaks of end times, think, speaks of things that are yet to come. And so these seven letters to these seven different churches actually serve to us as a, a, as a warning for today in, in 2023, a warning about the deception and the traps that can pull us away from the truth and pull us away from our faith. So how many are appreciative of warnings? But some people do shy away from the book of Revelation just simply because of the, the prophecy factor of it. It freaks them out a little bit. How many know what I'm talking about? I don't get all that stuff. I don't, I don't get it. But did you know that there are blessings that come over your life when you speak it and when you hear it? This is given right here in Revelation 1 verse 3. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to this church. In other words, as I am literally speaking this to you, I am receiving a blessing from the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, because I want his blessing. But it goes on to say, he also blesses those who actually listen to the message and obey what it says for the time is near. So all in this room, the very fact that you are here and we are reading from God's word, we are, and and we're talking about revelation and what is to come. There is a blessing that you are going to walk away from. Many times we we give away things, little flowers, or we, we give away bacon. How many were here for Father's Day? We give away different things. Listen, the giveaway today is the blessing that comes from God Almighty, right? How many, how many, I want that. If someone doesn't want it, I'll take yours too right? I'll take that. So there's a blessing that comes from even reading of these letters. 
So out of these letters, we, we, we opened up the letter to Ephesus and Smyrna. We opened up the letter to Pergamum. Last week, Pastor Christian, man, Grand Slam home run, knocked it out of the park, park for Thyatira. But today we're gonna look at the church of Sardis. Now, just a couple fun facts for you. Barclay tells us that about the city of Sardis, the first coinage ever to be minted in Asia Minor came from Sardis, right? The first money, and they called them Electrum Staters. They, they were the beginning of money in the modern sense of the term. Sardis was the place where modern money was born. Sardis was also known for its luxury. How many like luxurious hotels, right? Luxury, they, they were the ones, they created lazy boy chairs, 80 inch screens, full HD, they created chicken wings, I mean to tell you, and football. I mean, this place was happening, right? And so they also, though, through the luxury and the softness that they had, they had a well-deserved reputation for apathy and immorality. Have you noticed that as we've opened up these letters to these different churches, they all, many of them, they had the same issues and a lot of it had to do with sexual immorality. And that's because of the, the culture and the environment that they were in. The Roman government, man, anything that could happen, that would happen, that shouldn't happen, it was all okay. It was disgusting, it was vile. We have laws against such things that happened back then that were permissible, but it had a well-deserved reputation for immorality. And in the middle of that city of Sardis, there was this large, massive temple with pillars that would rise up to 60 feet tall to the mother goddess called Cybele. And Cybele was worshipped and honored not just by going and bowing a knee. She was actually worshipped and honored when you would perform sexual immorality and purity. That's how she got her praise. You see, in that culture, in that climate, that was completely acceptable and that was the norm. Can I tell you, we see in the culture and the climate that we are living in, there's a lot of different agendas that are being pushed and, and proclaimed as the norm. They're trying to normalize things that are completely illegal to do. No longer is it a sickness or is it a mental illness, but now it is a lifestyle. It's a culture that's being taught to our children within the schools. And this is why it, parents, listen, school's getting ready to start up and all the parents were like, hallelujah, right? Listen, you have got to know who your kids' teachers are. You gotta know. 
You gotta know when they're teaching something that's out of characteristic, something that has absolutely nothing to do with history and arithmetic and all these, you gotta know what's being taught. You have to know. And can I tell you, it's okay for that particular day session, if something crazy is being taught, pull them out of school and take them to the zoo. Get them an ice cream cone. It is okay. Why? Because it's important as children of God to guard the environment that we allow ourselves to be exposed to. In other words, environment matters. Environment matters. And here's what I found. The more you accept the environment that you're in, the more you dwell in what the world wants you to dwell in, the more you engage in it, the more you're gonna conform to it. And that's why we have to stand firm. Can I get an amen in the house? Well, in Revelation chapter three, verse this, the verse one, it says this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis, that's how we know who it's from. And it says, this is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. That's a fancy way of Jesus coming down and describing himself as the master of every spiritual power and authority. Jesus is saying, I'm it, I've got it, I'm the one, I'm, I'm, I, I've, I've set it all in place and I hold all of these stars in my hand. So we best be paying attention. We see this displayed in the book of Ephesians chapter three and 20, that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can even ask or even think according to his power that's working within us. In other words, when we dream big and everybody is shouting from the mountaintops, man, that is just a breakthrough in technology. That is awesome. God's like, that's nothing. Check this out. He is the one that can do even more. Why? What is he saying? Because he's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's full of grace and mercy. There's nothing that is too difficult for him to handle. And his name is Jesus. So that's who's writing the letter. If I'm getting a letter from Jesus, a handwritten letter from Jesus, and I got to sign for it, you best believe that I'm going to be paying attention. Who's paying attention to this? Right? So let's look a little bit further. Revelation 3, 1b, the second part of this. And all of these have the same flavor. Jesus Christ wrote the letter and the first thing out of his mouth and he says, I know. I know. You see, we can, we, we can pull the wool over the eyes of our husband or our wife's right? We can lie. We can lie to, uh, at, at the workplace. We can, we, we can lie to our kids. We can lie on our taxes. You can lie about how much you weigh on your driver's license. <laughs> oh, faster. I don't do that. Uh, I do. I mean, <laughs> I'm just going to tell you that right now. I'm holding true. <laughs> but it, it's talking about, I know. And what is it that he knows? He says this, I know all the things that you do. Nothing is hidden from him. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from him. I know all the things that you do. And then he says this, I know that you have a reputation. Everybody say reputation. 
You have a reputation for being alive. Isn't that a great thing? That's, that is great. I wanna, I wanna have a reputation of being alive. And then he goes on to say, but you're really dead. You've got a reputation of being like this, but you are really this. You're acting like this, but this is your reality. Wouldn't we call that hypocrisy? Let's look at these words just real quick. That word uh, reputation, in the Greek, it is anama. It means to have a name. You ever met somebody that they've done something and repetitive that it may be characteristic or even it could be uncharacteristic, but when they're doing something and, and man, it's, it's not very good, maybe out of your mouth you will say something like this, man, they're really making a name for themselves. You see that? That's a negative connotation of that. Or if they did something, man, they're making a name for themselves. In other words, they're getting a reputation because of their repetitiveness. They're getting a reputation. that it, it, The name is used for everything. It's used to even be a covering, uh, 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 a rank. It, 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 it's that word reputation, anama, means uh, authority uh, or something that you have done, a deed that you have done. But we're not just talking about reputation, meaning a name like your first, middle, and your last. We're talking about reputation and how other people see you. How you are, how other people are observing you. Do you know right now, there are people that are watching online from, from other places. There, there are people coming in the doors of the church. They're checking out because they've heard of things that are happening here and they want to see it for themselves. They want to see if there's faking, baking, shaking, whatever that's going on here. Is this, is this real? Is God really doing some awesome things? Because we are now getting a reputation that God is doing something here in this place. See, I want to have a good reputation. I don't want to do anything that would hinder that bad or good reputation, right? And in Proverbs 22, it says this, that we are to choose a good reputation over great riches. For being held in high esteem is better than silver and gold. The rich and the poor. In other words, he's giving the, the description that everyone should desire a good reputation. The rich and poor have this in common for the Lord made them both. But how many know that some people, they just don't care? How many have ever met someone like that? They just don't care. They know they're spiraling out of control. They know what people think, but they simply don't care. Joan Jett had that problem. She did not care about her bad reputation. Some of you will get that here in a second. The light bulb will kick on. You see, the church of Sardis was more concerned about their alive reputation than their reality. They paid more attention to maintaining their persona rather than cultivating a place where the presence of God would dwell. So because of that, sin 
was allowed to be let go. Sin was alive and active in the church of Sardis. So what does that mean? It means simply this. A good reputation doesn't mean that everything's okay. Y'all track with me? A good reputation doesn't mean that everything is okay. We see this as a prime example in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Paul's writing to Timothy and he is saying, hey, listen, in the last days, there are going to be difficult times. People are going to love only themselves and their, their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents. They're going to be ungrateful. They'll consider absolutely nothing sacred. They'll be unloving, unforgiving. They'll slander other people. They'll have absolutely no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They'll betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. And here's the kicker. They're going to act religious but they will reject the power that could make them godly. And Paul tells Timothy, hey, dude, stay away from people like that. Is that not crazy? In other versions, it says they will have a form, a form. They're going to look like it. They'll have a form of godliness, but they will actually deny the power They'll deny the power. Yesterday, as I was just just focusing and just settling in on this, I felt the Lord drop a little something in my heart. I'm like, Lord, are you sure, man? This is, he he said this, stop focusing on your good rep. It's time that you get a God rep. A God rep. A reputation that shouts, hey, listen, if you want your family members to get saved, you're going over there to that church. You hang around those people. If you're in need of a healing, you need to go over there by that, by that highway, by that 81. They got their own exit. God gave them their own exit off the highway. Listen, you got to go there. If you need to be set free from addiction and drama and depression and anxiety, you need to go up in that house because God dwells there. If you need a miracle, you need to go up there to that church. I want us to have a reputation that if you need to get fixed, then you go there. Not just to talk in the community, but the testimony of the reality that Jesus Christ dwells in this place. Now listen, I know that some of you drive far. How many, how many feel like you drive a little far? Come, come in here. Come on, just talk to me. It's all right. It's all right. Let me give you a little word that you can tuck away. A church alive is worth the drive. Okay? Tuck that in your back pocket. So we're talking about a reputation. A reputation, which is a good thing that a good reputation is good to have. But Jesus called them out of their hypocrisy. He's like, hey, listen, people are saying this, but I know. I know you're not alive. You are actually dead. Now, when you break down this word dead, it means the Greek word is nekros. 
And it's not just talking about a bunch of people walking around, you know, and they're zombies and their hearts not beating and they're just like, all right. We're, We're talking about spiritual death. We're talking about, and this is, this is crazy, this spiritual death means this, that you are destitute of a life that recognizes and is devoted to God because it has given up to trespasses and sins. It means that you, you are inactive in doing what is right. You're destitute of force or power. When you're spiritually dead, it means that you are inactive. It means that you are inoperative. My buddy David Gusick, he says this, death actually indicates that there's no more struggle. There's no more fight. There's not even any persecution. And he goes on to say this. It wasn't that the church at Sardis was losing the battle because it had already lost because it was dead. You see, something that has died It's already lost the battle, right? The fight seems over. And in this letter, Jesus wasn't encouraging the church of Sardis to stand strong against persecutions. It doesn't say that anywhere in that, does it? Look at your copy of God. It doesn't say anything. He wasn't encouraging them to to stand firm, right, against persecution and false doctrine. Why? Because Jesus said, you're already dead. You got a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. What does that mean? That means that the church in Sardis presented no significant threat to Satan's domain so it wasn't worth attacking. And Pastor Christian said it this last week. Satan doesn't bother a a bad church. Right? Right? And no one likes to be attacked. No one likes persecution, but there was nothing. There was no power. There was no anointing. There were no healings. There were no deliverances. There's no preaching against them. There were no salvations. There was no growth. The presence of the Holy Spirit was not there because they were dead. They had a form of godliness, a form of godliness. You see, here's what's interesting. The church of Sardis, the death of it, it didn't happen overnight either. Didn't happen overnight. It was a slow fade. And I hear hear this from people many times. They will come with a situation and a situation, a circumstance, and they will say, I just don't understand how it got to this. You know what I'm talking about? I just don't understand how it came to this. I don't understand how I got there. I didn't ever see my life ending up like this. How did this happen? Well, I'll tell you where it didn't happen. It didn't happen yesterday. It did not happen yesterday. You did not become.
yesterday. You just did not wake up and your marriage just literally fell apart in one moment yesterday. It happened somewhere over here. That there was a compromise, something happened way over here. But we always like to focus on this. We always like to, to focus on the tragedy and try to figure out what happened right here, right now. There was something big that blew up and we always look at the, the perimeter, what happened within the last week. You're never going to find it. You got to go way back here. Way back here when there was compromise and when there was secret sin when the Holy Spirit was speaking and he was saying, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. But you're like, mm, that's no big deal. That's a, it's, it's all right. And you just slip right on into it and then the devil's got you. And then you get drug over here and now you're wondering how it happened. You see, it just happened. But it didn't just happen right there. It happened back here. And what Jesus is saying to the church of Sardis, he's simply saying this, wake up! Wake up, strengthen what little remains. Can you hear Jesus Christ start standing on the edge and begging and pleading for a church and for a people to wake up? Wake up for what's left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you've heard. Go back to what you believed at first. Hold to it firmly. I want you to repent, my church. I want you to repent my people return to me again because if you don't wake up if you don't wake up I'm going to come to you suddenly and unexpectedly as a thief see people get all bent out of shape in church when, when they hear this word repent but what Jesus is actually saying here is I love you too much to leave you this way. But it's your choice. You see, when Jesus says repent, that statement is full of authority. That statement, that word is full of urgency. Yet it's also filled with mercy and grace. Because he knows that time is running out. And he's saying, come back to me. Oh, come back to me, church. Come back to me. It's not, it's not too late. Hurry, 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 hurry. Come to me. Hurry up. Come on, will you please change your mind? Turn away from these things that I've spoken to you. Run to me before it's too late. It's full of mercy and compassion. We see it in 2 Peter the Lord really isn't slow about uh, being slow about his promises. Some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake because he does not want anyone to be destroyed. But he wants everyone to repent. Do you see it? He is begging the church of Sardis to wake up. And then he goes on to say in verse 3 and 4, Revelation 3, Yet there are some of you, right? There's some of you in the church who have not soiled their clothes with evil. In other words, they have not participated in the sin. They are, they are, they're not part of the frozen chosen. 
Come on, some of you will get that. They're, they're not a part of that dead crew. They're, they're alive. And he says this, they're the ones that's going to be walking with me in white for they are worthy for all who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never, listen, I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my father and his angels that they, listen, don't touch them because they are mine. And what I feel the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today that you've, you've been faithful and you're pressing on. He's saying, don't give up. Don't let up. Don't give in. Fight the good fight. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Know that I am working and I'm interceding on your behalf. That's what he's saying. And then lastly, what does Jesus write in his letter? He closes it out by saying this. Anyone with ears to hear must listen listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Anyone with ears to hear. We see this reflected in the book of James. He says this, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. We have to listen. How many have ever, you've, you've heard the voice of the Holy Spirit before? You've heard, you've heard him speak. Now, let me rephrase that question. You may not hear that voice like you're hearing, like I got this microphone. Testing one, two, testing one, two. You, you're not hearing it like that. But man, in your heart, he speaks and you know that that is him. If that's you, raise your hand. See, there's a... There, so you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Do you hear him crying out to us today as just as he did the church of Sardis? Listen, you don't have to be dead. You can be alive in me. You don't have to be inconsistent in your walk with me. Come to me. You don't have to be spiritually paralyzed. You don't have to be spiritually fruitless in your life. You don't have to go on maintaining your regrets. You don't have to live life that way. Do you hear him calling out today? And Jesus, what he's doing, he's telling us, just like he did Sardis, he's telling us to repent. He's telling us to wake up and shouting it from the mountaintops that he loves us. I haven't given up on you, so follow me and I will lead you back to where you're supposed to be. Isn't that awesome? Repentance is not bad. It's actually a good thing. Thank you so much for tuning in to the message. If you desire to grow deeper in your faith, we want to help you. Text the word GROW to 419-495-6802. You can also stay up to date on everything coming up by checking out limafirst.church and hitting the events tab. Lastly, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any future LFC content. We'll see you next time.